This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hello everyone, it's Tara here. Just me today, and I am very excited to welcome a very special guest to the podcast. With me today, I have Stephanie Demet. Hello, Stephanie. Hello, Tara. So Stephanie is the author of two novels. Homing, her first novel, won the Margaret and John Savage First Book Award, and Falsy Downsies, which won the Jim Connors Dartmouth Book Award for Fiction. And I will just have, I'm putting it out there right now. It's one of my favorite books ever. I've read it at least twice so far. I love this book. So we will be talking about it. I know. (laughs) I just had to tell you though. Um, She is, and this is according to your website that you're currently at work on. She is currently at work on her third novel, Good Birds Don't Fly Away. Her middle grade book, Amazing Atlantic Canadian Women, was co-written with Penelope Jackson and published by Nimbus in November 2021. In addition to her writing, Stephanie is also the co-founder and co-executive director of the, of the Afterwards Literary Festival, which takes place in beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia from November 1st to the 5th of this year, and tickets go on sale September 8th. Welcome again, Stephanie. It's so lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for coming. So first, let's discuss the Literary Festival afterwards, because I'm a big fan of literary festivals. So I want to hear where your motivation, like how, what's the creation story behind this, the festival? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm also a big fan of literary festivals. And where I live in Jibuktuk in Halifax, there was something called the International Halifax International Writers Festival. And that was active for a few years in the early 2000s. And then it kind of packed up around 2008. And at the time that it closed down, I got together with a few local pals who were kind of in the book world to try to brainstorm whether we could keep it going or start something else. And at the time, you know, we had some ideas and, but we didn't have the skills that we needed. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was the host of a a daily current affairs show on CBC radio. And I knew that there was not a chance that I would be allowed by my employer to participate in something and starting something uh, like a literary festival. So we kind of shelved the idea. And over the ensuing years, um, my good friend Ryan Turner and I, he's a writer also here in Halifax. He and I are in a writer's group together. We've known each other for almost 20 years. And we would regularly complain to each other about the lack of a literary festival (laughs) in Halifax. Because as you know, every every major city across Canada has writer's festival and like lots of minor cities do too Mm -hmm. and I think for us the the final straw was when lovely little Lunenburg Nova Scotia announced that they had a literary festival and so after many years of complaining to each other you know why doesn't someone start a literary festival here in Halifax we finally realized that we were somebody (laughs) and that perhaps nobody had because we were supposed to. Yeah. You know, 10 years or so had gone by since the last time we had talked about 
doing it. And in those 10 years, he was running a really successful business and I was hosting a really successful radio show. And so we were both gaining a lot of skills that would enable us to to legitimately and realistically start something. And then we we're both just really driven by the desire to go to the kind of festival that we produce, which is really handy. So it's really, you know, kind of driven by our own interest and curiosity and our desire as writers to be in a room with other writers and readers talking about and listening to others talk about what drives them to the page. How do you choose, like, curate each festival season what authors you're going to hopefully have? Yeah, that is the most fun. Yeah. So it's been a little different every year. So our first festival was in 2019. And that year we kind of got who we could get. Nobody knew who we were. Publishers really didn't know about us or seemed to care very much about us. So we, you know, rarely were able to get in touch with a publicist at a publishing house to book a writer. But we realized that agents will write you back because agents kind of care if their writers get work. <laughs> so, um, so I wrote to an agency and they wrote me back. And so I just looked on their website, looked at their clients and was like, well, here's an amazing bunch of writers. Let's invite these people. And then we found out maybe a, a small publisher, smaller publisher pitched us a few people and it felt like they would be a good mix. And so in this kind of like, how do you make a writer's festival? I don't know. Let's try this. Let's try that. We came up with our first lineup and then we refined that. We refine our approach a little bit every year. And we're trying to think about, you know, do we have like one or two or three people at the festival who we think a lot of readers in Halifax would already know about and be really excited to see in our city? And then do we have like a nice mix of writers from our local community? Because we're so lucky here. We have incredible writers yeah. in Nova Scotia and then more broadly in Atlantic Canada. And so do we have like a good mix of our local colleagues? And then are there a few like emerging writers from other places, whether that's in Canada or further afield that we can kind of add into the mix. And so we're really just like following our curiosity and reading really broadly and deeply and listening to, you know, what we think people might want to see. And then just kind of trusting the, this really simple magic that seems to happen once everybody's here and we're on stage yeah you know like I mean maybe it's just me but I really think that listening to writers talk about how and why they do what they do is like honestly the one of the best things I could do with my time it is yeah and so now that we're this is our fifth year so now that we're in our fifth year the publishers tend to know you know, a little bit about who we are and what we do. And so this year we did our first series of pitch meetings where all the publicists get on a Zoom call and one by one they pitch us the books that they think might be of interest to us. And that was a really cool process. Yeah. This year we have like our lineup is really stacked and um, it's, all, it's mostly people who have new books coming out and that hasn't always been the case for us in the past. And so it's really exciting. And then we're like trying to get the dynamics right. We we want to make sure that our festival is is kind of broadly diverse across, you know, 
all kinds of lived experience. And so we're always tinkering in that way as well, just making sure that we're including as many different kinds of writers, uh, different kinds of people as we can. So it's a really fun process. Yeah, it sounds very fun, actually. I know that on social media, you have been giving little snippets of Mm. some of the authors. You want to share some of them with us tonight and maybe some of the events involved? I'd be happy to. So it's always been my dream to do a brunch event at the festival. We did one in our first year. It was very stressful, but really cool. And we're going to try it again this year. I think it'll be a little bit less stressful We kind of know how to do it now. And we are so excited. We're going to do this at the Carlton in Halifax, which is a really cool little kind of supper club. They have live music. Usually they have a little stage. They have a really great menu and really beautiful brunch menu. And they're going to open special for us and do a brunch featuring Emma Donahue and Charlene Carr. And we're just so excited about that. Yeah. So Emma and Charlene will each read, you know, for about 15 minutes and there'll be a lovely brunch and we'll all hang out together. And I like kind of can't believe that that's happening. And then we'll, people will have a second chance to see Emma Donahue read and to hear her in conversation. The great journalist, Sarah Hampson, uh, who used to write for the Globe and Mail and Toronto Life and all kinds of places and has recently moved to Nova Scotia. Um, So she'll be in conversation with Emma Donahue uh, at the festival in one of the evening events. Uh, What else can I tell you? I don't want to tell you anything that I haven't like broadly announced yet. Yes. Oh, we have Alicia Elliott. Yes, Um, that's why I was going to say I'm like, I have seen that Alicia's coming. Yeah, so she has her debut novel coming out this fall. Mm -hmm. She's, I think, really well known for her nonfiction writing at this point, her essays and her wonderful book, A Mind Spread Out on the Ground. So she has a novel coming this fall that's basically a horror novel called And Then She Fell. And we have um, in our community here this firecracker of a woman, uh, a professor of history, a Mi'kmaq woman, uh, and a fan of horror literature. Um, Her name is Mercedes Peters. And when we saw what Alicia's book was about, we invited Mercedes to conduct that conversation. And she she has never replied to one of my emails so quickly, I must say. (laughs) We're very excited. Mercedes is incredibly intelligent. Alicia Elliott is incredibly everything. Um, And I think the two of them in conversation is going to be a real treat. And then that same night in the same venue. So our our schedule is arranged so that you, you buy a one ticket for the night and you get two conversations. We really love conversation format. That's mm-hmm. our, our preference. So that's how a lot of our programming is organized. So then you'll see Alicia in conversation with Mercedes. And then you'll see Amy Jones and Shawn Michaels. And both have new books out this fall, yeah. and they'll be uh, together in conversation with a host to be announced. Wow. Um, so that is also very exciting. And then there's like a mix of readings, and there's a big party, and there's a couple things we're still trying to confirm that I'd love to tell you about, but I cannot. So you should follow us on Instagram and things like that. And lots of workshops. We do a lot of workshops too. Oh, very cool. I know one year I'm going to get down to Halifax for you this. You must come. Yeah. It's on my bucket list. My bucket list is small, but it includes that one and the um, Woody Point. Yes. Everyone has Woody Point on their bucket list, I must say. I think we, uh, 
about a month ago or two months ago, Amanda Peters was mm-hmm. at who the author of the Berry Pickers was at the Burlington Library, and I was able to go listen to her read. I cannot remember who she was in, who the moderator, his name, but he is one of the festival organizers for Woody Point. Oh, yeah. And he had mentioned it. I think it was mentioned in his introduction and someone in the audience didn't know. And then after the conversation, they went and asked him about it. And he was like, you need to buy the tickets the day of. They sell sell out instantly. And I'm like, yeah, because yeah. it's all small venues and it's a well-known, beautiful festival. Yeah. So those are two on my list. Mm-hmm. So that's the festival sounds amazing. Thank you. Now I have to move on to your books. Okay. So listeners, I have a little connection with Stephanie in that I know her sister. So Stephanie's originally from Ontario. And when I was doing the craft show circuit, I met her sister, Donna, who is a beautiful jewelry artist. Mm. I'm just going to shout it out. It's Bella Bagu, Bagu, B-E-L-L-A-B-A-G-U.com. I'm not sure about the .com, but I'm going to put the link in our show notes as well. She makes beautiful jewelry. So please go check her out. I'm wearing like six pairs, six pieces of her jewelry right now. I usually have a pair of her earrings in and I buy them for my sister all the time as presents too. So I knew Donna through a craft show circuit and I was at a craft show locally, very locally. It was like at my children's school (laughs) and I went over because I knew Donna was there and I went over to say hi and it was actually through Donna on Instagram that I had found out about your book, Fallsy Downsies. So I had ordered it, read it, loved it. I went over to say hi to Donna, not realizing that her sister Stephanie was visiting her at the time. And there was Stephanie, the author of my like one of my favorite books standing right there. I totally fangirled and went, oh, my God, I have to go home and come back with my book so that you can sign it for me. I looked like a total nerd because it was my poor children. This was in front of all their teachers and stuff. But it was the best moment. I mean, it was a highlight of my writing career. I, I can't lie. I've... Awesome. At least, see, I've done like I've I've taken part in someone's writing career, so I'm pretty happy with that. Mm. So, anyway, so Fallsy Downsies, I would love for you to tell us about this book, the main character Lansing Meadows, mm. and uh, let's yeah. hear it. Yeah. So Fallsy Downsies is a story largely about Lansing Meadows, although there are are kind of three points of view. But Lansing is an aging, kind of cranky Canadian folk singer who uh, has always resisted the idea that he is at the height of his powers because all he can see is the long, slow slide down the other side of that. And he really is on that long, slow slide. Things are kind of falling apart for Lansing. And he he figures he's got one more tour in him, and most people don't believe he can do it, but he knows he has to. And he finds himself in Petite Revere, Nova Scotia, where he uh, meets this eager, young, would-be musician named Evan Cornfield. And Lansing, I was going to say convinces Evan to become his road manager, but really just kind of insists that Evan is now his road (laughs) manager. And they get in Evan's mother's Toyota Corolla and they head out west on tour and eventually they they connect with a young woman named Daisy Brown who wants to be a photographer is kind of working at a, a very local newspaper 
which is run by her high school English teacher. And she, she wants something more. She's living in Grand Falls, New Brunswick, and they all connect and end up together on the road. And as they say, um, hijinks ensue. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> I have to ask you, who is Lansing Beddows? Yeah. I mean, he's himself, you know, he's mm-hmm. resolutely himself. I included a lot of real Canadian folk singers in the book as minor characters because I knew that people would be really tempted to say, oh, Lansing Meadows is Murray McLaughlin or Lansing Meadows is, you know, Stompy Tom Connors who who died like just a few weeks before the book was going to press. And of course my title Falsey Downsies comes from a story that my friend Dave Gunning, who is a folk singer and who played in Stomping Tom's band told me about his job interview, which basically consisted of a phone conversation with Tom, where he said, just so you know, we stay up after the show and drink until the two four is gone. And you have to stay up because I don't like to drink alone. And then he said, and you can hold your liquor, can't you? Because we don't want any falsy downsies in the bus. <laughs> and Dave was telling us this story very late one night after hours at a bar in New Glasgow, Nova Scotia. My husband was there, too. And my husband is also a folk singer. And he and I, Kevin and I, just kind of looked at each other across the room, found each other's eyes. And I said to him, whoever gets there first gets it. Because <laughs> we both knew that it was phenomenal phrase. Yeah. And Kevin spent a couple weeks trying to convince his friend, Steve, that they should start a band called Falsy Downsies. And Steve thought that was a stupid idea, which is great because I had already started writing the book. We needed that title. So then when Stomping Tom died, I was like, oh, damn, Dave's telling that story on every newscast on the hour. (laughs) Now I have to write a scene that has Stomping Tom Connors in it because otherwise people really will think that it's Tom Mm -hmm. and it's not Tom and it's not, you know, it's not Ron Hines and it's not any of those other guys it's Lansing is Lansing but he's yeah. you know I I used to host a radio show and I interviewed a lot a lot a lot of musicians like a lot of musicians and I learned from them and I interviewed like a lot of old Canadian folk musicians and I was kind of inspired by them I was thinking a lot about fame when I was writing Falsy Downsies and I was thinking a lot about what fans what we require of artists what we ask of them what we demand of them really Mm -hmm. despite what they've already given us and I was thinking also a lot about people who are quote-unquote one-hit wonders and how sometimes the culture just decides that you don't get to work again or you don't get to be famous again you know yeah because you were a one-hit wonder and I think like if you're an artist you're just an artist and you still have something that you want to make and that you want to offer and give And I was thinking about how painful it would be to have written one giant song, never hit it big again. And then what? What does your career look like? What does your life look like? So those are kinds of the things that I was thinking about. And I, I had a really like a great conversation with Ron Hines that helped kind of help me form some of my thinking about Lansing. I, you know, cause Ron had had that has that really famous song mm-hmm. that really famous song right yep and everybody knows that song not everybody knows ron wrote it people think it's like a traditional irish song or whatever yeah and he pl- he when he was alive and he played music for people he played it every night he always played that song and i said don't you ever get tired of yeah 
playing that song and he just looked at me like I was crazy. He said, how could I get tired of that song? Like, why wouldn't I play that? People, that song has brought me a, such a long way and people want to hear that song. Yeah. I'll play that song for as long as I'm lucky enough to have people who want to hear that song. Yeah. And that really helped me really changed my thinking. And, uh, and it really helped me, you know, I was thinking about how, how do you age as an artist, like in this youth obsessed culture. So these are, I was thinking about poor Britney Spears having her nervous breakdown in public, you know, instead of in private, like every other 20 year old gets to. So I was thinking about all those things and all of that got kind of channeled through this this crusty old folk singer. (laughs) Oh, he's, he's amazing. And it's, and it is true because you see him on this, his road trip, this, tour that he's doing like he is doing some more well-known venues but Mm -hmm. he's also doing some real dives yeah and he is responsible for getting himself from one place to the next and he's on his way like the the end of it is like he's being celebrated Mm -hmm. right as a uh, his contribution to the national music scene but at the same time he's doing on his way to get before he's being fed it he's also being like playing in little dives where he's unappreciated it's yeah. a beautiful story it's Aww. yeah it's tara oh thank you <laughs> i was just trying to write about how it felt to me to be an artist and like this is a very nice experience that i'm having right now as a writer but i mean you know there are yeah. endless opportunities to stay humble when you are a canadian writer yeah and I think that's really important. And and those things can exist at the same time. Like, yes, Lansing is going to get this Lifetime Achievement Award. And and he's playing in like a terrible, he's playing in this terrible venue in Cornwall, right? It's mm-hmm. Cornwall where he has I like think so, yep. experience in the wine bar. Yep. Yeah. That one, oh, was based, yes. that one was based on a gig that my poor little husband played. Oh, yeah. Almost word for word, that one is based. Wow. Oh, poor. No, I feel sorry for him too. I know, oh. but he's fine. Like that's what it's that's what it is though. It's like yeah. you know, as one of my pals says, some days chicken shit, some days chicken salad. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that is that is the case no matter what kind of level you're you're working at. Like you have to work as hard or you I hope yeah. that I will always work as hard as an artist as I worked before I ever published a sentence of my writing yeah you know how about a couple of words some about homing because that's your first book I jumped right into Falsy Downsy yeah. so we should give well, homing it's I mean now we're really going back into the archives yeah. you know like I, I have it sitting right here for me right here sorry in front of me yeah it's available through the publisher's website just for people we'll put the link in the in the show notes as well Yes, my sweet publisher is invisiblepublishing.com. Uh, you can also order it from any bookstore. If you waltz right in there and ask for it, they won't have it unless you're in Halifax, but but they will get it for you. And that's very good for me if you do yeah. that. Okay. Homing, dear little homing. So I wrote this book, you know, approximately 100 years ago. I was working on a pop culture show on CBC Radio called Definitely Not the Opera, and I I was an associate producer, so every week we had to pitch stories. And I, back in the early 2000s, when people were, you know, Web 2.0 was kind of becoming its thing, and people were doing this thing called National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo, Mm -hmm. in November. And I was like, that's interesting. There's a community around it. Why don't I 
why don't I write a novel and participate in it? And then every Saturday in November, I could report on the show about how it's going. And they were like, that's a great pitch. And so I felt the thrill that you feel when your mm -hmm. colleagues like your pitch. And then I felt the existential dread that you feel when you realize now you're going to write a novel and in 30 days on the national public broadcasters yeah, so people watching yeah everybody watching but yeah. this is how I have done a lot of things you know I used to write a newspaper column and I also used to smoke cigarettes and I wanted to stop so I wrote in my column that I was stopping and that if anybody saw me smoking they should slap the cigarette out of my hand so <laughs> it's not off-brand for me to uh, get done something I really want to get done by putting in place the potential for public shaming we'll say it that way <laughs> So homing is, I always say, homing is about love, death, and rock and roll. It is about a young woman who has lost her brother. She's kind of lost him twice, once because he died, and then once because she got pissed off at his ghost and kind of told him to take a hike. And so the ghost kind of got hung up at the, at the Halifax Central Library on Spring Garden Road and, and couldn't get home. And then temporarily living next door to this woman is this young musician named Henry who's been kicked out by his girlfriend and he's really trying to pay attention and write songs and he keeps instead going and getting drunk and smoking dope um, and he's just really trying to find his way like into and back to his songs and each of these characters has a best friend and and, and hijinks ensue wow. <laughs> I feel like all my novels eventually get to the place where hijinks. <laughs> yeah, and so it's a very, it's a little book. It's very urban. Um, you know, it's set right in downtown Halifax, and I really love this place. And there, at the time that I was writing Homing, there really weren't a lot of Halifax books, and that felt really sad to me. I, you know, I remember what it was like growing up, not having any books to read about where I grew up. I grew up in Mississauga, Ontario, and they're really, I mean, now there's like um, 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl by Mona Awad mm -hmm. is set in Mississauga, and there might be one or two others I can think of, but I never read anything that was about where I lived. Everything I read was about English countrysides or New York City or California or the Midwest. Nothing about where I was growing up. And then when I moved to Halifax, nothing about the Halifax I was living in. And I really wanted to write. I love Halifax. Um, yeah. And I was living away from it in Winnipeg, missing it. And I wanted to write. I wanted to write my little Halifax. I wanted to write a love letter to my to my town. And that's that's a big part of what homing is. That's amazing, Stephanie. That's, mm. that's yeah, beautiful. I'm seeing a theme of music mm -hmm. in both books. Mm -hmm. uh, you are currently working on your third yes. novel. Any Anything you want to say about it? You know, I would have thought that there wasn't music in this one, mm -hmm. except I went ahead and gave it the title Good Birds Don't Fly Away, which is, of course, a piano mnemonic for the notes as you play oh, so them with, it your, is. with your left hand. I used to take piano lessons, and when my teacher said that you know you can remember it this way good birds don't fly away I was like oh, I have to go home right now and get back to my writing because that yeah. is the kind of my title so there's not as much music in this one I will say like one of the primary characters does fool around on piano and and a character who becomes important in the in the b story like in the second half mm -hmm. I think he's a music professor 
and so yeah there's probably some like metaphor stuff but it's not the same there's not like it's not in that rock and roll life the way homing is and the way falsy downsies is it's much more directly about it's much more directly about grief and the music in it i think is really a delivery device for some things that i want to say about that Hmm. okay i can't wait to to read it i'm writing it as fast as i can which isn't very fast yeah faster Um, stephanie i am trying (laughs) you're on my mind okay thank you um okay before i let you go Hmm. i must ask you what are you currently reading Oh, God, I love this question. Do you, I, I know am, I love asking this question. I am like, you know, I'm book drunk most yeah. of the time. Yeah. So, yeah. like, how many can I say? As much as you want. Okay. Go for it. Yep. Okay, right this minute I'm reading The Fake by Zoe Whittle. Okay. Zoe is a writer in Ontario. Um, her last book, The Spectacular, was spectacular. Also a book about rock and roll and fame. Uh, This book is about a con artist, and I love stories about con artists. I just love them so much. Um, So I'm tearing through that. I just read an older book, a little older, Heartbreaker by Claudia Day, which was really weird. It's like set in this northern place in maybe Ontario, and it's kind of a I guess I would say it's like a cult, intentional cult community. Oh. And... The language in it is incredible, like the way she's constructing sentences and ideas and the way that you never really as a reader totally know the circumstances of the lives of the characters. But she's letting you in a little bit every time. It's like this really fabulous kind of spiral. Mm. It was terrific. It was terrific. It's like haunting and weird. And I love that kind of thing. Yeah, me too. Added it. Okay, awesome. A Grandmother Begins the Story by Michelle Porter. She's a Métis writer living in St. John's, Newfoundland. That book is mind-blowing. It's beautiful. Hollow Bamboo by William Ping, also a writer in St. John's. This is about his grandfather, who was a founding member, a really important member of the Chinese-Canadian community in St. John's, a story rarely, if ever, told, I would say, in Canlit, and structurally fascinating. There's like some broad kind of almost slapstick humor that at first I was like, eh, I don't know about this William Ping, but then what he does with it, how he uses that to like deliver the story that he wants to deliver is I think so like crafty in the best sense of the like writer's crafty. Uh, Yeah. It's a fascinating book. I'm really, I'm excited about that book and to see what happens for him with that. The Berry Pickers, of course, Mm -hmm. by Amanda Peters. I just read Happening by Annie Ernaux, the French writer who won the Nobel for Literature last oh. year. It was unexpected and terrific. And yeah. I'm reading an incredible book about writing called Meander, Spiral, Explode by Jane Allison. And so if you're kind of interested in how writers tell stories and what methods they're using that are outside of the kind of traditional like arc, you yeah. know, the whale. It is fascinating and beautifully written. And then oh. I'm like always reading some poetry by Sue Goyette, especially Monoculture. Um, that's the one I'm reading right now. And I'm kind of always reading a little bit of Alice Munro. Mm-hmm. And I'm basically reading whatever you will leave me alone for 15 minutes with. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite the list. Thank you. 
I have books everywhere in the house, including on the stairs in case I get trapped in between floors. <laughs> <laughs> I have just started keeping a, my book or my book, sorry, my job sometimes it requires me to travel like just locally. Mm-hmm. So I have actually just started, I hope, hopefully my boss doesn't listen to this. I just realized as I'm saying this, <laughs> I've started keeping a book in like, uh, I don't know what that's called, the pocket on the passenger seat, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I keep like a little slim book in there just so that if I find I have like five minutes or I'm having a snack or something, I can just like whip that out and get no a few pages in. You a few minutes of broadening I your don't horizons think by so. reading. I don't really, think that so. makes you a better employee. Your boss should probably give you a raise. Uh, thank you. I Tell agree. So, Tara. I will. I will. Because, you know, it does like mentally, I just kind of go whoop and now I'm ready to go back. So you're right, Stephanie. Yeah. I'm going to ask for that. Empathy making machine. Books are empathy making machines. We need more. Yeah. I'm going to put that in my performance review. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. (laughs) I don't know how well it'll go over. I'll let you know. Report back. I will. Okay, Stephanie, thank you so much. I'm going to let you get back to your life. And I'm going to go make my husband a zucchini quesadilla. Yeah. And I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this and appreciated you doing this for us. It was such a pleasure, Tara. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. And happy reading, everyone. Stephanie's giving you a list. Go to it. Thank you for joining us on our bookish journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing Canada Reads American Style wherever you listen. You can connect with the podcast and Rebecca on Instagram at Canada Reads American Style. And with Tara at On a Branch Reads. Until next time, keep reading.